Welcome to the Weekly Hook, the podcast where one of us chooses a topic they're hooked on and the other has no idea what's coming. We're your hookers, Chris and Rashad, and today, well, I'm just going to say it, we're going to talk about one of my favorite writers ever, and find us wherever you get your podcasts and at serialhook.com where you can get all the latest info while you're at it. Also, make sure to subscribe. And now I just want to, t I have this, I have this thing with writers, Rashad. I'm, sh I'm pretty sure we've talked about this. There are some writers that I've just read everything they've ever written. And this is the case with this one as well. I, I convinced you to read one of his books. We're going to talk about Paul Auster today. Nice. Nice. I'm excited for that. Which book did you read, convince me to read? <laughs> the Country of Last Things. Ah, yes. I had already been I had already read Moon Palace before. So oh, there yeah, you go. it wasn't my first Paul Auster novel, but it was great nonetheless. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Cool. Yeah. I mean, we haven't really talked about books that much on <laughs> Weekly Hook. But I thought I'd I'd do that. Um, spoiler alert, my next weekly hooks are probably going to be about authors as well. And I don't really want to talk about, you know, their life as much. Because especially with Paul Auster, you can really tell a lot of biographical data or like things that happen in his life through his books because he... He really, <laughs> he really took the, the rule of write what you know to heart. And some somewhat excessively, maybe I I don't need like like five pages per book uh, on baseball all the time. But uh, you know that's just me talking. Who does not care about baseball? But yes, Paul Auster is an author. Obviously, you know, born in 1947 in the U.S. Um, has been a huge presence there, literally, uh, <laughs> literally and literarily, I suppose. And he has always been, for, for in the 90s and 2000s, he had always been named a contender for the, uh, as, as a Nobel laureate for literature. Never made it, will probably never make it. And, you know, I've re he, has, he has written so many books. He is, he is quite a prolific writer. He has written fiction, obviously, he has written a lot of, novels i think it's 17 or 18 i didn't count them but it's a lot i've read all of them and he has also written a lot of non-fiction many great books there also wrote a lot of poetry and screenplays and he is also known in some circles uh, as a translator of french literature uh, i haven't read any of his translations but uh, you know, that that's fine. We're also not going to talk about his poetry or screenplays today. We're going to mostly focus on his fiction work, his novels and novellas. And obviously there is going to be some ranking at the end of this, but I just want to talk about why I like him. And it's very interesting because, you know, he was the first writer... I really got into that, you know, I just started reading 
one book and then another and then another and then i thought i'm just gonna make this a thing where i'm going to read all of his books and over the next few years i managed to do exactly that and which was kind of good timing because there was a big gap in between publications <laughs> in, in that time for him and so that gave me a lot of opportunity to catch up if you will until he wrote his biggest uh work that is kind of the epitome of all things paul auster and i'm going to get into this um yeah uh at the at the end he started out writing the new york trilogy which is a a trio as you could say a trilogy of of yeah i would say novellas and that all obviously take part in new york city that are sort of crime mysteries um you know very much re reminiscent of people like dashiell hammett and the hardball detective novels and all of that he actually before all of that he wrote a a crime uh novel by the title of squeeze play under the name paul benjamin that i also have and i have read and it's 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 you know you you, you just when you read it you just go through that um but yeah the new york trilogy is where it all started it's very it was very well regarded in its time it came out in 1987 and that's when he stepped onto the scene and he, he has for the most part uh published a book every few years uh the biggest gap there, there were some gaps in between where it took him four or five years but I'm, I'm curious if if there is going to be another novel i'm not sure i could see him saying after the last one that's it and yeah it's it's very it's a very interesting thing to talk about for me personally because as i you know as i was going through it and i was kind of seeing okay which books do i like and why do i like them and they they are all they all have some paul austery <laughs> characteristics if you will and you can definitely see his handwriting in between like all of them and there but you could also you know on the on the on the side of criticism say it's kind of this all of the same uh which you know i think are two sides of the same coin but i would still say that there are there are differences in between all of them um, but before I start, I just wanted—I mean, it's it's been a it's been a minute. But do you remember anything about Moon Palace or in the Country of Last Things? Anything that stuck out to you while you were reading any of those? I—it's really tough for me to think about that because yeah, I remember some plot points particularly. Mm. Um, I remember being kind of enamored by the writing and the style and and how. Um, or I can't even remember the protagonist names because I'm terrible at names, as you all know by this point. <laughs> but yes. I, I'm trying to think. Wait, it was what was the name of it in the country of last things, right? Yeah, that was the one with the homeless shelter, right? No. Yeah, I'm... yeah, it was so, sort of like a dystopian world. Yeah, but then there was like a home in which people went to. Yeah. And our main yeah, character yeah. like pushed around mm -hmm. the guy in a wheelchair, right? 
Yeah. That was that book. Okay. Yeah. I, sorry. I have to remember this. No, I mean, I would, I wouldn't be able to remember every book that I read like five years ago. I thought of a, a very interesting reflection on people in general and how things work in a society that is sort of anarchist anar- anar- an- an- in an anarchic in 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 wow i can't speak right now. <laughs> just start just start from you <laughs> yeah I, I yeah i thought it was good i think that's what i would end up saying i i thought the world's really interesting in terms of the different layers and the thoughtfulness of it the different spark parts of the city what really was outside of the city was always a mystery and that part was really interesting to me as well i kind of wish they explored that a little bit more but part of the mystery was part of the fun um, I found the intergenerational relationships in both Moon Palace and in the Country of Last Things really interesting and in how things went from one to the other and how they if, it impacted each other. So I found that to be really interesting. A scene from Moon Palace that always sticks in my head is him sleeping in Central Park, which is something that is some, is seared in my memory to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, there, There's... Or like the the descriptions of the people wanting to take a shower in in the house in in the country last things or the library in the country last things all these beautiful depictions yeah I thought it was just great um, I hope I'm not mixing different stories together but those are some <laughs> of the me- the messages that I remember very vividly um, from those two books yeah I mean you know in the country of last things it's a very unusual Paul Austin books because every basically all of the others are set in real life if you will and in the country of last things is more removed from that but yeah moon palace definitely has a lot of austerisms if you will you know um you have i think the the protagonist's name is marco stanley fogg and that in and of itself is just something paul Auster really likes to do it's a lot of um intertextual references to other sorts of literature we have obviously uh the ms fog we have morgan stanley we have marco from marco polo um and all of these things all of these kind of things that probably start out as private jokes with himself and that is that is something that goes beyond you know that across all of his books that there are a lot of names that tell you something about the uh the prote- or the characters there is a a character in the book the broken follies who's called Harry Dunkel which uh Dunkel is german for dark and he he had a you know he had a previous life and then decided to take on a different personality or maybe not personality but definitely like uh, give himself a different name and become a a new person to also you know not be in the same circles as he used to be and then he calls himself harry brightman and you obviously have the the play with light in there with bright and dark and that is just something that paul Auster really something that he really enjoys um in the country of last things is also very unusual because it has a female protagonist. It usually is is a male protagonist. Um, the only other instance is Timbuktu, which has actually a dog as a protagonist. So you see everything from its purview. That's so fun. Yeah, it's it's kind of a fun thing. It's it's also a sad story because you know the. Uh, 
the um, I, I guess master of the uh, of the dog is an older uh, guy who is just roaming around the countryside, not really a vagrant, if you will, um, who's slowly dying, and the dog who kind of tries to comes to terms with it but also is in denial and it's it's just a very interesting exercise of of you know you know seeing it through the eyes of a dog um but yeah i think what he really excels at is the uh is the relationships in like between the humans and also bigger political issues that is also something that you can find in basically every uh, every of his novels he was a big he was in in opposition to to the vietnam war for example and that is something you can find in in many of his novels as well that is mentioned you know he obviously writes a lot about the times that he was younger most of his protagonists are also you know in their 20s or 30s um with a few exceptions again brooklyn follies the the protagonist is i think in his late 50s or something like that and actually that leads me to something that i wanted to mention and i'm just going to do it here because some of his first lines of books are just amazing and brooklyn follies is one of those and i'm just going to read this to you and so so Brook, the brooklyn follies which is a book from the mid 2000s is uh, starts thusly I was looking for a quiet place to die. Someone recommend someone recommended Brooklyn, and I don't know. For me, that was always the funniest of the of the introductions. What a great line! Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, or another one of my favorites is something that you know draws you in immediately from Leviathan. Six days ago, a man blew himself up by the side of a road in northern Wisconsin. And you're <laughs> imme- you immediately think like, oh, what is this? I need to know more. Um, in Invisible, you know, you can already tell from the first line that this book is ostensibly about the protagonist's relationship to one specific person when it starts with, I shook his hand for the first time in the spring of 1967. And you already know, okay, this is whoever he is shaking his hand, like sh- shaking hands with, this is going to be important. And Paul also really has a way of drawing you into the story, I think. Um, his characters are hit or miss for me personally. Sometimes, sometimes they're really like cardboard cutouts, but sometimes they're very eccentric and uh, lovable and he has a he has a love for more like social outsiders uh definitely um and at the same time though he can't help himself but go back to his own experiences and so you get a lot of references to obviously living in new york city you know how life as a student there was for him as well you ob- you oftentimes have references to France or French literature, to baseball, to also Jewish culture, and also the the topics of writers and writing. There is a lot of metafiction in his books. So basically works of fiction or nonfiction that 
were written by a character in the book. So obviously for us by Paul Auster himself. And also a lot of intertextuality, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of references to other works of literature or media in general, but mostly mostly literature. And a lot, yeah, again, also like a lot of comments on U.S. history and society, uh, New York City specifically. We have yeah Vietnam, the New Vietnam War. We have nine eleven. All of these things. Um, there is one novel of his called man in the dark that is basically about a a kind of civil war in the u.s that is sort of like the the bible belt versus the rest if you will and i think that was also like the mid-2000s in the bush era and yeah all of these things that just paul also likes to comment on he has been also in real life if you will a you know outspoken critic of some politicians in the u.s and uh, other places and I, I there are also some other like not necessarily culture references but more philosophical interests of paul oster that i briefly wanted to mention that you can see in many of his works one is going back to kind of like transcendentalism and Thoreau, Walden, all of these things. A lot of his characters and mostly protagonists, at least for a while, take up a sort of ascetic lifestyle. They abandon like the mainstream way of living. You mentioned, you know, the protagonist in Moon Palace sleeps in um, in Central Park. He goes on to... Uh, a big trek westwards into the wild mm -hmm. in in various other books of his you have people who for one reason or another just uh you know live differently from mainstream society and it often comes down also to to some philosophical thing that the character ex is exploring or it is because of money and money is a definitely a different issue that paul also likes to talk about a lot in his uh, novels because you know there is often often there are protagonists who really are in the need of money and struggling to make ends meet but also almost as many times you have protagonists who got into some amount of money recently it's usually through an inheritance i think that happens three or four times um that just offers them some sort of independence at least for a, a certain time frame and all of these things we have a, a huge huge biographical parallel between his books and the author himself is the absence of a father or father figures or also the search mm -hmm. to find one um which goes back to his life obviously and his absent father which is very well put in the book that is autobiographical called the invention of solitude which is a two-part non-fiction book sort of memoir and 
the the first part of that is called Portrait of an Invisible Man, in which Paul Auster, fairly early on, I think it's, it was published in the early 80s, so before Auster found mainstream success with his novels, which is very interesting to me, um, where he talks about how absent his father was throughout his life and what that how that impacted him and everybody in his family and obviously that is something that he has been thinking about and that has been affecting him affecting him throughout his life uh, and you can <laughs> that is definitely something that shows in his novels as well um Yeah, th those are like a lot of the themes. I didn't want to go too much into detail here because it's just such a vast amount of work. And I, I'm I'm just, whilst preparing for this episode, I was just thinking, okay, I, I like, I read a lot of his books more than once and I really enjoyed them. And the way I went about it is that all of the books that, I read for the first time. Usually I, I just got them from a library. And then if I like them, I just bought them so I can reread them. So I can I can fairly easily tell which of the books I really liked um, and which have like value for me personally to reread. And I I agree with what you said in the beginning that he just has a way of describing things that really that just really resonates with me i i am not v well versed in literary liter literary analysis uh to the to the point where i could just hold a 20 minute monologue of why exactly i like his writing it's just something that i've always liked it's it's very much literary comfort food for me even though i'm You know, I'm the first to point out that there are more intricate plots in other novels or things that are more well-written. I think sometimes, for example, his dialogue is a little stale. Um, but I think where he really exceeds is in the descriptions of things. And this might be why dialogues aren't It's not necessarily that just that they're not his forte, but also you know they don't take up a huge chunk of his of his novels. I would say um, there is there are many many pages of just uh, descriptions and stuff like that. So I I really enjoy that. I mean he knows where his strengths are, and he's one of these writers that really celebrates the process of writing. Who he is famous for not using computers at all he basically pre-writes everything by hand and then types them in a typewriter that he got like in the 70s or something like that he even dedicated a small um work that i think is called the history of my typewriter or the life of my typewriter something like that hmm. um which has also been illustrated um it's a really it's, it's a it's a really cute thing to read um and yeah i don't know another thing that i really like is the interconnectedness so 
obviously living nowadays we are all aware of things like the marvel cinematic universe but there also exists something like the austral literary universe in which many of his characters from very much different books are interrelated like okay like this this person from this book was is like the uncle of this person or was the the roommate in college with like this person from a different book and it's all of these different things that you know they don't really add that much to any given book but if you've read all of them or at least some of them you start to realize that it's just a, an author enjoying himself and having fun with the th with what he's writing and how he's writing it the same as you know the the names of people and it's uh, i don't know it's just i i enjoy these sorts of in jokes a lot without having to put you know a huge signpost onto those things every time and yeah another another big thing in his work is the topic of chance which goes back to something that happened to him he has talked about it in many many uh, interviews that when he was quite young i'm not sh sure how old he was maybe like 12 or something maybe it was a little bit earlier he was i think in summer camp and uh he was just like playing about with with a couple other children and there was like a storm coming out and a boy that was standing pretty close to him got struck and killed by lightning. And that obviously left that like left a big mark on him because he always thought, yeah, it was a matter of a few meters of a few seconds, whether it was him or me. And you can, you can see this throughout his work. You have, you know, obviously chance encounters freak occurrences it goes so far as to you know you have one of his novels titled the music of chance uh which is also like a fairly good book and yeah it, it's just definitely one of the strongest themes throughout uh, all of his work um obviously as a writer as somebody also i think who has translated which just adds a whole nother dimension to how he works with language. Just language itself and how we perceive things through language and symbols um, is something that he has cared a lot about and paid a lot of attention to throughout his life and work. He often quotes Lacan as a big influence in, and the symbolism that is, you know, very 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 much uh you know present in in his psychoanalysis and many different he quotes so many influences all of the big writers um no <laughs> no real surprises here but yeah it is it's it's very interesting to me as well that i realize a lot of his characters have a very strict like moral code and very clear ideas of what they will and will not do And I kind of saw myself in there as well. So I'm not sure what came first, my personality traits or reading Paul Auster in that regard. Maybe that just 
reaffirmed something that was already in me, but I could definitely see, uh, I could definitely identify with that. Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, I don't know. I, I really am wondering whether that was just like confirming. Yeah, it's okay to just do your thing, even if other people think it's weird. Um, <laughs> which I think we both have instances of that in my li- in our lives that we can relate to. Um, yeah. Um, so, I, as as with these things where I just give a very broad overview, I'm I always think those are like pretty short episodes because I don't go like nitty into nitty gritty details. Um, but I, you know. We we are here on Serial Hook, the weekly hook, obviously. So I have to give a top four, right? Of course. Um, <laughs> and so I went through all of his books. It was fairly easy for me. There are. It's also very interesting if you look at the the sequence of works he has published, because with one exception, which is the aforementioned Brooklyn Follies, there is a phase between 1994 and nine uh, no no 2008 where he published how many books is it one two three seven books and i only like one of them uh <laughs> so th- those are like there there are there are definitely a few books that when i read them i was like okay this is like some of them were like interesting the aforementioned timbuktu that is from the um point of view of a dog and others as well but there were also some where just midway through i just thought okay if this wasn't a paul oster novel i just and like stop reading it that bad huh not bad it's just it's it was just exploring things that i just didn't care about at the time um that did just didn't do it for me so as with other people other sorts of media it it doesn't mean that it's bad it's just it wasn't for me maybe you know it's it's been a it's been a minute it's been 10 years in some instances if i reread them now maybe i should i would change my mind but um yeah there are just some of the works that you know i'm just not going to reread and that's fine you know you don't have to love everything that an author puts out i still he have here 10 novels that I bought that I really like of his and that I have read more than once in some cases many many more times and so I'm going to I'm just going to give you my my top four as it stands right now of course I have honorable mentions how else could it be obviously um again Brooklyn Follies I would say in terms of sentiment probably would be in my top four but um i just don't think it's like you know it's always a is it one of my favorite paul Auster books absolutely but is it one of his best probably not so i tried to i I just decided to leave it out um but it is definitely kind of an uh, an interesting mix of characters with some weird things that happen in there also, some things go looking back onto where I was like, "Oh, really? You're you're doing this?" And it is, I mean, spoiler alert, but it ends, I think, half an hour be- before nine eleven happens, um, which is which he describes. I can, 
I mean, I already spoiled it, so I might as well read the last sentence of it. Um, uh, yeah, but for now it was still eight o'clock and as, uh, oh no, yeah, one, one second. So yeah, the last few, the last paragraph basically of that book uh, reads, it was eight o'clock when I stepped out onto the street, eight o'clock on the morning of September 11, 2001, just 46 minutes before the first plane crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. Just two hours after that, the smoke of 3,000 incinerated bodies would drift over toward Brooklyn and come pouring down on us in a white cloud of ashes and death. But for now, it was still 8 o'clock, and as I walked along the avenue under that brilliant blue sky, I was happy, my friends, as happy as any man who has ever lived. And, you know, that is obviously quite a note to end on and also an insight of how quickly things can change but you know it's it's a weird it's almost like the odyssey in a in a, in a way where just this man who just is on a path and just the, the people who he encounters also again by chance really influence his tra trajectory and yeah, I I have a great affinity for this book, but it just didn't make my top four. Same with the New York Trilogy, which is comprised of the three novellas, City of Glass, Ghosts, and The Locked Room, uh, all of which are very different kind of detective stories and all of which have their merits and some of which I like more than others. And it's the work that he is maybe most known for still um but and i yeah i really enjoy it but also it just didn't quite make the cut and i decided to, to go instead for my number four with his last novel 4321 which is yeah just the epitome of his work all things paul Auster are in here and it is a really interesting exploration it is very unusual in the sense that all of his books are roughly the same length like in the country of last things is really really short but usually his his books have about 300 pages in like paperback format and you know you, you, they all look, kind of look the same size maybe sometimes it's like 250 something like that but um 4321 is it's pretty long it is ba because it is basically four stories into one I'm just going to have a quick look how many pages it has. Yeah, it has almost 1,100 pages, um, which is why, because it has, it basically explores that idea of chance and how it influences our life, because you basically have this, it tells, it narrates the uh, life story of the same person just has basically for what ifs explored so basically you know what if the same person was born but under slightly circum different circumstances or if at a certain crossroad basically you, you see like a branch on the path and what if you just follow it the one direction and then the other one how does that influence the person's life mm -hmm. and it's a really really interesting book i would i think the only book of his that i really like that i haven't reread just because it's so big um 
but a really good exploration uh, and you can find everything that paul auster is about in this book which is which is good for his like uh, opus magnum i suppose <laughs> um yeah and it's difficult to to you know recommend an 1100 page novel <laughs> to someone but uh you know if someone was to only read one paul auster book this one would probably be the one but um, you know, it's also no surprise to me that this is the book that he has. Like, this might be his last novel, and it makes a lot of sense because I feel like he has. You know, I, I would be happy for another novel, but what could follow after that one? Um, yeah, it's a really interesting take on things, and very complicated sometimes to keep track of to distinguish the four different. Um, versions of the same person sounds like um, it but uh, yeah it's a, definitely an interesting read number three is a novel called invisible um which it's very interesting so in my top four spoiler alert are the last three novels so the last <laughs> the most recent three novels um and invisible is another one of them which basically it has three parts from different points of view and and different times and yeah it it's talking about this student who meets a man who just again a chance encounter that really influences his life and makes it way more complicated and very very many intricacies in here but you also have the best sort of uh you know what is it called the like unreliable narrator yeah sort of thing and the different parts you you know they interact with each other so in the first part the person writes something about something that happened and then in the second part there's another there, it's a different point of view and the kind of the the person who write who writes that one is taking taking umbrage with some something that person wrote and like oh that's not how it happened at all and um it's very interesting and a lot of i don't know it's also kind of weird like the person he meets like the per like the person that it is about basically the antagonist if you will it's kind of weird i gotta say like kind of yeah definitely you know palpably made up and almost like Bond villain-esque <laughs> in a weird way. Um, but I don't know, still a, an interesting read because it explores certain themes that are very interesting and don't really get mentioned in literature that often. Um, my number two is also a very political book, Leviathan, that I briefly mentioned uh, earlier. It's a big, I would say... It's a very heady book, or rather, it it come comes off at, as these like the, these people who are, you know, oh, they're artists and writers and all of these people, and oh, this bubble isn't it great in here? Um, it's kind of funny, but there's a lot of, as the title could suggest to you, a lot of political comments, and mm. I think it came out in '92, so it was, uh, you know came out just after the end of the cold war and has a lot of it talks a lot about 
you know, the way that U.S. society is developing and what things people, even people in like mainstream society are like can be unhappy about and how one person radicalizes themselves um, in a very interesting way as well. Um, yeah, but I just, I love the relationship between the characters specifically. You have really great, it, it gets a little messy in here uh, in terms of, you know, in, interpersonal relationships. Um, but whenever I think about this book, it's incredible to me that it came out ostensibly 30 years ago. Uh, yeah, actually, really 30 years ago. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of my favorites. That This is the one where I'm not sure how much me liking the book influences my opinion of it. But of it's also it's also a very short one. And it sounds a lot nicer than 1100 pages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun and um yeah, also has a lot of interesting narrative explorations here because basically yeah, it's it's the one where that starts with 6 days ago a man blew himself up and then you you it's the conceit is that all of this is a recounting of a of a tale of somebody's life through the eyes of another person who under time, uh, extreme amounts of time pressure um, writes down all of his notes before uh, certain people can find him. Like uh, before a an, an investigation will inevitably lead to him. And it's, it's a really interesting, I, I just, I, I don't know. I think it might be, might be my favorite Paul Auster book. Um, Ooh. But it's also difficult to say because my number one is also one that I have, it has been growing on me. It kind of went under the radar when I first read it, but then I read it, uh, I came to it later, again, reread it. And I would say it's his best, no doubt. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe four, th four, three, two, one is, but um, I liked the, I liked that one just a little bit more like, <laughs> if you will like subjectively and objectively whatever the fuck that means obviously <laughs> not objectively at all but yeah. i think from a craft perspective it is like very much condensed one of the very few books as well that is from different points of view much more so than invisible is as well and talks about yeah basically people who are squatting a building in in new york city oh yeah the, it is sunset park by the way <laughs> didn't mention the title yet um and yeah it's about four people who basically are squatting a uh a building in sunset park in new york city from different backgrounds and they're basically you know living together and their interpersonal relationships and their family dynamics as well with you know outside family and it's also it also is talking about some you know some topics that might make people uncomfortable um but you know also it explores the the things from different points of view and i would say in terms of a concise fashion it is <laughs> if you disregard four three two one it's it's the best paul Oster book um just throw, it shows a lot of empathy for all of the characters involved and 
again is also just pays homage to New York City a lot, which I mean most of Paul Oster's books do because he just loves loves it. Um it's yeah, if if you if New York City is your thing, this writer is for you. And um yeah, I can I can uh, highly recommend everyone checking out his work. Um and I've clearly <laughs> enjoyed reading him. Also take a look at his nonfiction for his like uh more autobiographical writings. And yeah, that's that's kind of a so <laughs> that's kind of a exploration of Paul Auster and different things I like about him. And I couldn't really, I, c- I could have done a very, very, very scripted two-hour episode on Paul Auster, but I decided to go a little bit, uh, you know, more free-flowing. That sounds great. I mean, it's just now I want to go and read some more Paul Auster stuff. So that's the goal of this whole <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to to hear what you think if you ever come around to reading it. And um, I need to get through yeah. my Isabel Allende kick first. So, oh, nice. <laughs> She's great. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I should. I should. Uh, I should check her out again. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Rashad, for indulging me. Thank you, dear listener, for indulging me as well. And uh, listening to me ramble about Paul Auster for 40, 45 minutes. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode and if you enjoy Serially Hooked, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Also make sure to subscribe so you just get all of our episodes delivered right into your podcast app of choice. For Rashad, I'm Chris and talk to you next time. Bye.